0: hey it's craig from revolution radio this is just a reminder can you hit that subscribe button that way you never miss a new episode of canadian af thanks so much for listening to revolution radio and enjoy this podcast we had our glow sticks happening during that intro man that was so much fun uh craig g hanging out with you here this is canadian af canadian as fuck this program that we do each and every monday night 10 p.m eastern standard time on of course our radio station which is called revolution radio canada Joined, as always, with my friends Dimitri, our man Scotty Comer, who is in Florida right now, hanging out in Florida, uh, Durky Wonderstone, a.k.a. Derek Lewis. I have no idea where he is right now. Our man Johnny Dovercourt has joined us one more time in the studio. Yes. Johnny Dovercourt. Thanks so much for joining us again, my friend. We greatly (laughs) appreciate it. And you have a report, uh, which is very, very important. We are going to uh, talk to you about. We've got a lot of stuff to talk to you about as far as this guy goes. It's a fantastic piece. And I'm actually going to pull it up on the screen. Oh, sounds like uh, our man Derek might be having some uh, issues. Anyway. Uh, Let's get our man, uh, Dimitri, please, if you wouldn't mind, a land acknowledgement.
1: Canadian as fuck would like to begin by acknowledging the Indigenous peoples of all the lands that we are on today. While we meet tonight on a virtual platform, we would like to take a moment to acknowledge the importance of the lands we call home. We do this to reaffirm our commitment and responsibility in improving relationships between nations, to improving our own understanding of local Indigenous peoples and cultures, and to try to move forward in a spirit of reconciliation and collaboration.
0: Brother, thank you so much for doing that. As always, we greatly appreciate it. Um, We are going to be talking about this thing, which I am pulling up in PDF form here. It's just taken a quick second because apparently Google isn't fast or anything. Uh, (laughs) We're going to be talking about this guy right here and
2: it's that. Does everybody see that? Can everyone see that? Oh, Woo-hoo! this is this is way less fun when you shared the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it feels like you're in school. When it covered people, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm not down with learning. <laughs> Fuck this <my> shit. <laughs>
3: I pulled this. I pulled this thing up to prepare for this. The uh, last time we were going to do this, and it was like ninety-five pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zero. Like, <laughs> in for zero. penny. In for pe- I did it. I did it all, but I was like,
4: "What did I get into?" Wow! Good thanks year. for reading the whole thing. You could have just yeah, read yeah. the executive summary. That's why there's the six pages at the beginning. <laughs> See, I didn't know.
3: I didn't know if I was allowed, being that I'm not an executive of anything.
2: Oh, yeah. So, touche. I felt, like
4: a, I felt like a poser, yeah.
2: Also, Comer didn't really go to school, so he doesn't know that essays are usually written where you have everything at the beginning, and then there's a bunch of bullshit in the middle, and then a sum up in the end. Well, I, I was I was homeschooled, so I was just told what a good I know good boy with a belt I was.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. homeschooled with a belt. Yes. So.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, why don't we Dimitri doesn't here. like
2: it when I'm rambunctious so I'm going to rope it in yeah my, no uh, it's okay never no, never 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 rope
0: it in actually we we love it when you don't so I'm in the Matrix. The last time our man Johnny Dovercourt was here, we were talking about, is everybody ready? I know the boys are ready to duck on either side. This book right there called Any Night of the Week. Uh, Johnny Dovercourt, uh, DIY History of Toronto's Music Scene, 1957 to 2001. It is a fantastic read. And if you don't have it, make sure that you get yourself a copy of that book right there. And um, just so you know, Dimitri's lost. Is that right? He's doing the macarena
4: behind the book. What's he (laughs)
0: doing? So. We chatted with our man do- uh, Johnny literally just over a year ago, right here on this very little program called Canadian AF. When we joined our friends at uh, Crier Media uh, to uh, essentially put our podcast out there, Johnny Dovercourt's episode was the very first episode we did with Crier. So uh, we're so happy to have our man Johnny back. John, could you do us a favor and just kind of wondering if you could you could fill us in Thank you. if you could fill us in, <laughs> Derek? I swear to God. <laughs> You said you were going to fucking rope it in, okay? We so knew, then you in. said
2: don't. We can Then you actually. said
0: not to. You're right. I to did. be fair, yes. I absolutely did. Okay. So he feels yeah. like he's back in school. He can't help it. That's yeah. right. Exactly. Um, Do the old I'm artificial I'm wondering if you be able to, if you could talk about the essentially the beginnings of this paper, how yeah. did this report kind of come to be? Well, I thought about doing a follow up to
4: Any Night of the Week. Originally the, I, and originally at any end of the week was going to be two books. So it was going to be one big fat book. I ended up cutting it in half. Uh, then it came out at the start of the pandemic. And then I decided I didn't want to do another book because it took, it took so long to write that book. But I didn't want to spend mm-hmm. another four years covering, you know, 2001 to the pandemic. Because really, we would, wouldn't know how the story would end, and I, I decided I wanted to do something that was more fu- uh, forward-looking, like future-looking. And I was actually considering going back to school, having one of those, you know, existential crises we were all having in the early pandemic. Like, mm-hmm. what am I doing with my life? All the venues are shut down. I'm a concert promoter. Um, <laughs> and i've i've felt that way since literally 1992 so i, <laughs> I hear you <laughs> so yeah. i i about 10 years ago or so i i i was invited to work on a, a report for the the city of toronto called from the ground up which is actually a pretty early study study about the toronto's toronto's cultural sector and it led up to the first culture plan which i think came out a year or two later and I met this great, this really cool guy who's a sociologist from UT called Dan Silver, and he'd actually worked on uh, so, like one of the first uh, reports that was that had the term music Music City in it. He's actually from the states originally, and mm-hmm. he wrote this Chicago or co-authored this Chicago Music City study, and then he moved to Toronto became a sociology prof. And so I was chatting with him and he said like, now nah, I don't go back to school. Like you have enough experience. He said, if you want if you want to study something about music venues, let's do something together. So I was like, okay. So I got some, some funding from some grants. He brought in his time as a professor and, uh, and was also able to recruit some students. So we had this idea to do this, uh, Re- this research project looking into the future of live music spaces. It started as a Toronto thing. And then because, because of some of the grants we got, it actually became an Ontario wide study. Yep. Um, so it was really cool. It was like, I brought my sort of journalistic flair to, to the table. Dan brought this really hardcore academic um, data analysis side of things. And, you know, there's a lot of reports about uh, there's been a lot of reports in the last decade about the live music sector in Ontario. I think at one point we even do like a meta analysis of all where we analyze all the other reports that had come up to ours. And uh, a lot of them are, you know, have a lot of interesting ideas, but they're a bit dry and not like necessarily a good read. And, um, we wanted to do something that was a little more accessible, uh, and readable, uh, and also, uh, had a bit of accountability to it, like had a bunch of ideas that were really actionable. And then, then we'd actually sort of do some follow up and see what can actually come of some of the ideas from this uh, from this study. So that started, it actually took, you know, it took about a year or two to work. Like we started working on it in the fall of 2021 and you know, we we did a uh, like a big, a big audience uh, survey. Well, it wasn't just audiences. We like spoke to everyone across the whole music ecosystem. We spoke to musicians, we spoke to concert promoters, we spoke to venue owners uh, and audience members. Um, I went around to other cities around Ontario and interviewed people in their local music scenes, like in Ottawa and Guelph and Hamilton, which was actually really, really cool to get, out, get, get outside of the Toronto bubble and see what's happening mm-hmm. in, in other places. Um, we did some really cool... I know this is like the last thing you're going to expect to hear is really cool data analysis. <laughs> <But> we, <laughs> for a phrase you never expected to hear on Canadian AF. Oh, fun. But, but get this, we actually did one of the first things anyone's ever done in the world was we actually analyzed concert listings. Um, we actually used, we, used, we got Exclaim and Just Shows to give us their access to their database. And then we actually did analysis of uh, all the concert listings in their database to track do mapping and track the amount of activities and the location of venues and, and, and the trends over the course of a decade. Mm-hmm. So that was really, really like innovative stuff. And we also, Dan and some of his other colleagues at UT, they actually downloaded all of the Yelp. Um, Wow. And uh, and then we were able to analyze Yelp reviews of music venues and group them by cat by by keyword um, Mm -hmm. to make like categories of different types of venues and then saw which of those types of venues survived the pandemic and which didn't. Yeah. so there was some really really cool stuff and then we, you know we did a lot of thinking and a lot of um, a lot of talking and like okay what we've it's pretty clear what the problem is in live music and the, we summed it up as market misalignment which is basically like audiences think they're paying too much for concert tickets artists think they're not getting paid enough and venue operators are seeing their costs go up consist, consistently so basically like the yeah. economy for live music is basically broken uh, especially at the like the DIY emerging grassroots level uh like the big guys they're doing fine but it's the it's it's the small it's the small spaces the ones where the the new bands the the beaches of and metrics of tomorrow where they get their start those are the places that really need the most
2: support yeah it's really it's really detrimental there then yeah pardon me it's really detrimental then like all all those sections that 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 you're talking about that are missing for like all the all the lesser known people that's like that like could possibly be devastating yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But you,
1: you have some, but you have some suggestions. Exactly. So we pilot. went
4: from like outlining the problem. We didn't want it to just be another uh, sort of big com- list of complaints um, mm-hmm. and talk about, Oh, we're losing all our venues. Uh, the sky is falling. We didn't want it to be that we want it to be. Okay. Yes. There is a problem. There's, there's a challenge in this sort of, in this ecosystem, but uh, what are some like, creative ways that like, within Toronto and Ontario we can sort of work, t- work to create new models of venues that might be uh, more able to withstand future pandemics or, ma- uh, or able to be more economically sustainable or e- even ecologically sustainable and able to, to pay artists better when they're starting out and um, to make it more accessible for different types of people to engage with live music because so much of the, of the music that we all love takes place and licensed bars and clubs, um, which sometimes often you know shut out families, shut out underage people, uh, mm. uh, people who come from cultures that aren't used to being around alcohol. Um, you know, the, I, I like a drink. We're all having a drink here, um, and but uh, the, so much of the economics of uh, live music is based around alcohol sales, which isn't necessarily the most like equitable or sustainable thing. Um, so yeah, obviously a lot of it re- depends on like new and more robust forms of f- public support of. The government funding but also we talked about other f- new funding models that might like the idea of starting a foundation to, to support some of these ideas to get more to, to generate more private revenue like the way all the, the symphonies and the operas and the ballets all have fundraising departments why can't there be a foundation that supports 100% any, any, yeah. venues yeah th- that raises donations from yeah. people who have more cutting-edge t- Cutting edge taste in music, for example.
0: Yeah. So I wanted to, sorry, Dimitri, if you don't mind, I just want to jump in really quickly because I want to touch on something that uh, Johnny opened with. When and where did the term for Toronto mm. start as far as Music Town? Was it Music was it City? John Tory? Music City. Was it John Tory? That- uh,
4: it uh, it actually goes back to, was actually Ford era. Um, but I mean, he didn't coin anything. Uh, I mean, I think that uh, if you actually read this book, uh, called This Must Be the Place, which is uh, kind of like a, a – re- this is like a really essential book about music policy. It just came out like a week after my report. It was actually really funny. Like, it was, And, and the, the guy who wrote it is from Toronto. He's based in London, England, Shane Shapiro, but he's actually from Toronto. And he uh, – I think that it was actually Music City was coined by oh, – a, a guy that he gives credit to in England is, is the guy that sort of popularized – coined the term, and then Shane was one of the people that popularized it. So mm-hmm. it's actually not just not strictly a Toronto thing; it's something that's sort of became pretty popular around the world around 2013, 14, 15 or so. And Toronto is pretty early in sort of adopting the term "Music City," um, mm-hmm. but really it was it was popularized in London and in Melbourne and Berlin and right. Austin. Like um, actually, I think it's actually and then actually Nashville is the city that originally called itself Music that's City. Music City, the music City, US. So actually it goes back to Nashville, but yeah, it became a, it became a sort of in the mid 2010s, it became a sort of way of, of putting music on the radar of policymakers because previously no one cared about music. It was just like this thing that was out there, but there was no, uh, like kind of civic or policy re- recognition of its importance. Um, so it's actually pretty new. Even in the last decade, that people are people are even talking about this at city halls around the world, or the city hall in Toronto that we now have. We now have a music office that's yeah. been around for ten years. Um, but what's funny is that, like, since then, the last couple of years, the term's kind of fallen out of favor, which is why we use music ecosystem, which yeah. is and and even Shane himself, like he's he started a new charitable org called the Center for Music Ecosystems. Like even the guy who founded the, I wouldn't say he founded it, but he kind of popularized it. Even he's kind of moved away from it because it's a little reductive, right? Because music can happen anywhere. We say this in the report, like music, you know, like someone who's like uh, making music in a village in Nunavut might not be in a city, but they're still part of a music ecosystem.
1: But What, how would you, what do you think of the work that the music office has done at Toronto city hall over the past 10 years? um
4: it's been slow it's been a slow build you know i think that they, they, it's taken a while i think for you know mike tanner i have a lot of respect for mike tanner and for Jacqueline tam who who are the, the two staffers of the music office and they've done a really great job i think of getting to know uh the music community um in a very organic way and getting to know who all the people are because it's such a big industry it's a wide industry and um and city Toronto city hall is just such a a strange dysfunctional glacial um, mm-hmm. government like there's some we 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 had a meeting at the at city hall to talk about the report last week which was really amazing uh, because there was a lot of interest at, at city hall about how we could action some of the ideas in a report but you definitely could tell that there's people from different departments that had never met that don't talk to each other that don't know what each other are doing So, um, so it's been, it's been great to see someone like, like to see Mike and Jacqueline come together around things like the It's Okay Studio in Queen, uh, as an example of like one of the real big wins of the music office, uh, was this space on Queen West, uh, that was a city owned space. That was a, it was, um, a shoe store, like a sneak, a sneaker shop next to the, uh, was the KFC, I think, or Taco Bell, (laughs)
2: like right 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 down, right down,
4: right down by, um, by drum taberna and and java house java right house corner, so. oh, okay. opposite, like across the street from java house and then mm-hmm. and then and then across the street the other way from drum taberna um and this is the city owned space and they uh it was actually owned by parks Forestry and recreation and it was due to be demolished because they're building a park there um and this two-story space was vacant and the city basically gave it over to a group called It's Okay, which is a black-led collective that do sort of DIY events with mostly with uh, artists from like R&B and hip-hop genres. Um, but they started out doing events in weird spaces, like uh, concerts and boxing gyms and things like that. So so they were gi- they were given access to this space to uh, at well below market rent to to run it for two years before this building gets demolished. And they're, it's not a traditional venue. It's sort of also a bit of a co-working space, a bit of a studio. Um, so you know they have like they only have sort of public events on a semi-regular basis. Um, but it's a really interesting, exciting template for potentially the city uh, really getting in, involved in actually making more space for um, for people from the community for DIY groups to to, to run their own spaces um so that's like that's you know the access to space is probably like the, the biggest issue for the arts in toronto and yeah and this is a really and that's a really great example of it i think really one win that the music office uh has had so far and hopefully mm-hmm. something they can re- replicate in other spaces and the report is very complimentary
1: of ottawa as a music city and i was just like <laughs> like what do you what are some things that ottawa is doing right that other cities in ontario aren't
4: um <clears throat> i think that ottawa has uh, some really interesting venue spaces that are that are not traditional bars um, you know has a few of those as well and in Ottawa you know it's not perfect it's it you know has important spaces that close like Zafa Beeblebrox closed and closed down after many years and I think Barrymore closed too um, but spaces like Arts Court are really interesting like Arts Court's a really really special space that I think is pretty unique in Ontario if not all of all of Canada um, it's actually uh some like I feel like Toronto should go look at arts court and try and create a space like that here. It's basically what Artscape should be. Um like the arts the Arts Court building is an old uh city courthouse that the city of Ottawa just basically gave over to the arts community in the back in the eighties or nineties. Um and there's several groups that are all co-located there. Um, you know, like the, the fringe. The fringe festival has two theater spaces. There's a couple of different gallery spaces. The Ar- Ottawa Art Galleries there. The Ottawa Arts Council is there too. And most importantly, there's this, uh, a group called Saw Gallery who have a venue called Club Saw, which is really like the most. It's like a 200 150 200 cap venue. That's probably like the most active venue of that size in Ottawa, like every promoter uses club saw club saw actually has an indoor and an outdoor space. They have an outdoor courtyard, like adjoining the club that oh, they can wow. use for shows in the summer. Yeah. There's really kind of a no equivalent to club saw or arts court in in toronto and uh so rachel weldon who runs a a series called the baser which is kind of a little similar to my series wavelength though like they're 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 younger they're very a lot more heavily equity focused than we are um you know really 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 pushing diversity in a really really deep meaningful way um and the the baser was started by rachel weldon who became the music programmer at saw and rachel had the idea of doing this whole building takeover at arts court and calling it peak like p-i-q-u-e so it's kind of like a quarterly version of Nuit blanche like a all-night art party it takes over all the spaces of arts court with like lots of great music as well as lots of great art and dance performances and that sort of thing um mm. so imagine if you had all of nuit blanche but with with all the like the but with more of a music focus but focus in the one building uh, once a season like, and apparently that's mm. like it's like the coolest thing happening I mean Ottawa's so different right it gets a it's 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 a lot smaller than Toronto right so when there's one really really cool thing like that the whole city goes to it and the same with Blues Fest. yeah right? like like yeah. Blues fest takes over yeah you know i think that ottawa and obviously it has a bad reputation i think for being kind of a boring government town and 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 obviously i think we, i think all of us have had that experience of going to ottawa at like on a you know 8 p.m arriving in there at 8 p.m
2: on a tuesday and everything's closed you know yeah. like yeah. I, was, I was just like, recently there it's i yeah. hated my existence it yeah like there's literally nothing to do and there are there are, like for being the capital of of uh, 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 like the nation of canada what a dump
4: <laughs> i Ooh. i see i don't agree i think that Otto has a beautiful public buildings i love public i love building i do too, like, I do too. Like, the, like the national gallery and the national
2: arts center and i mean Ooh. those are two to come to mind this is, this is um, going go to a completely different conversation so just yeah. we'll talk about music do that that's all right.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but for um like for the music scene it's, there's definitely like stuff that you have to sort of be in the know. and there's great parties like Time Co, which is going on for 15 years, like Pan-African pan DJs, like they, they do stuff in area street and restaurants and warehouses. Um, yeah, and there's obviously because it's, there's not as much happening as in Toronto and you sort of have to be a bit more in the know, but uh, but the local scene in Ottawa is very supportive of itself and, and, and has really figured out how to do these uh, sort of connections between public institutions in a way, maybe it's just like me. Like I like that kind of thing. I like more art spaces than traditional bar party spaces. And I think they, I think they do that better. And, you know, the national art center has, is actually an amazing building that's done a lot of community outreach through the fourth stage and, and they have really successful festivals like Bluesfest. fest. Yeah. Um, so, so that's why I think Ottawa like sort of came out really, really, really well, um yeah and oh is really great too like the ottawa music industry coalition um is a really example like there's no kind of t- toronto equivalent of of that it's like uh um not really a musician's union but like a membership based musicians association that anyone who's a musician in Ottawa can join and then you can have access to all these benefits like they have that which is more of a sort of community-based um equivalent to like in Toronto we have the Toronto Music Advisory Council which I should disclosure I'm joining (laughs) I have my first meeting with them on Wednesday uh, after 10 years but you know TMAC the, the Toronto version is actually within city hall um but with ottawa it's actually their equivalent is actually actually part of the community which gives it a different a different feeling anyway
3: given uh, given that ottawa is, has a support for uh, sort of the budding scene mm-hmm. who's come out of ottawa
4: <laughs> exactly <laughs> honestly no, though, like it. i i can't
3: i can't i can't think of anything that that sort of spawned
4: um uh, the hallucination or tribe called red uh, Kathleen Edwards um, like ha- two-thirds of the guys from Metz um, the drummer from the arcade fire uh, Bruce Coburn um, I've, I've
1: I've heard um I've heard always always call themselves an Ottawa
4: band oh do you, yeah like yeah I mean unfortunately is one of those things where people from Ottawa end up moving to Toronto or Montreal of, so Um, in my, uh, Paul Anka, he's from Ottawa. Mm. (laughs) Nine, ooh, <laughs> 8, you eight, eight seconds, you know. But it's a um, Shotmaker, if mm-hmm. for anyone 90s hardcore band. Shot Shotmakers from Ottawa. There was Atlanta a great set. there was a great like uh, DIY hardcore post-punk scene in the 90s like Shotmaker, Okara, Kepler. I've, I've played some measures. Good, I've,
3: I've played some good punk shows in Ottawa, yeah. some
4: good hardcore shows for
3: yeah. sure. But yeah. yeah. Now,
2: now, now, we were we were talking about like the uh, Wooden the Wooden Stars. Oh, there you go. Uh, we, you were saying that there, were, there, there's not a bunch of places um, for like emerging, like younger, younger people <clears throat> to play, and maybe people that um, aren't used to being around alcohol and stuff. Um, now, I've this guy, <laughs> my finger gets all blurred out. This guy above me, this guy, Mister Hi. Comer. Hi. 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 So I've I've been I've been friends with Comer for forever, and there's a lot of things that comers produced like bands that he's produced that i have gone and seen through the like the late 90s into the 2000s that were all playing in like these like like what was it was it the oak room or the pine room pine room and oak pine room pine room the 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 burlington boys and girls club the ymca the like all these places that i've seen i've seen all these all ages shows for all these bands and they're just in the they're suburbs just, for sure. Yeah. In the yeah. suburbs, like it's, it's happening. And I'm like, so like my brain is like, like, I didn't even, I, I honestly, I didn't even think of it so when reading, reading your paper. I was like, I was, I'm, I'm like thinking back and I'm like, you know what? There, there, there is absolutely nowhere. In when Toronto. was the last
3: time? When was the last time we played a, a all ages show? It's you crazy. just played an all happen. ages. show. I did for the first time. I swear, in fifteen years, and that was yeah. in London at the Palisade, which is a
4: bowling alley. Wow. Scotty, what's your band called, Scotty? Uh, the Scary Loud. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Is it punk like punk rock? Uh, it's sort of like um, like
3: Weezer kind of power pop. That oh, kind fun. of thing. Yeah, yeah. and that was in a hardcore band called Twin Rivals that played a bunch too. Oh yeah, it was just a straight like beat down hardcore band. Um,
4: but yeah. I think in Toronto it was the closing of the big bop that was kind of mm-hmm. the that mm-hmm. was the, the, the pipeline for all ages shows at least yeah. downtown yeah. right Good call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I think like what, when that closed that sort of pipeline for teen bands from around the GTA to come to the, into the city and play it was really sort of closed down and I guess like the guy who was booking it, I think he went on to open the rock pile um which is out okay. in. the i right, think up. i think that i mean that's a little sort of out of my sphere yeah, right. of influence <laughs> i think they so cloverdale mall area yeah yeah i think they do all ages all ages they do. shows
2: they do all yeah. ages shows it's a pain in the ass to get to
4: exactly it is a pain in the, for those of those of us who live downtown yeah, so man. yeah that's um it is it is definitely a, a void, right in terms of uh like there's, I for I don't know how many teenagers play in bands like these days. I mean, they, you know, for those who make music, there may be more urge to, you know, to to get into hip hop or DJing it's, or rap, it's ha- it's, it's resurging. Or, these resurging. These things are sick,
3: cyclical, yeah. right? So it's it's back to you know, kids are into rock yeah. again. It seems we were Atlantic. just we
2: were just yeah, talking to one this, one talking thing, with Craig yeah. about this a uh, couple of episodes yeah. back about the 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 reemergence of of like kids wanting to actually hold an instrument.
3: Yeah, and, it's ex- yeah, it's
2: expensive,
3: but also all these things always come back, right? It's always I mean, yeah. listen.
2: I've I've looked at it this way.
0: My daughter uh, goes to School of Rock. And mm-hmm. here in Markham, and she abso- she's literally like putting on her boots. And she's my daughter's a little goth, right? So she's just wonderful. Her, like, she right now on her ceiling, she's got Chino from the Deaf Tones and Peter Murphy, nice. That's right? That's Arbor what goth children want to
2: hear. She's just right great. exactly. So it's just
0: she's so she's like <laughs> she's absolutely like throwing on her boots and running out the door to go to school of rock because she's so excited to strap on her guitar and play with a band. Where at first she was really hesitant about it, and I was like, look. Your daddy's a musician. I can tell you there's nothing like getting in with a group of musicians and playing music together and kind of, you know, coming sure. to this one place. It's like, you know, a bunch of guys running onto a lacrosse court, right, Scotty? Or, uh, or you know, a, a hockey rink or something like that. So it's just the camaraderie that you can't that you run get on from, a
2: hockey get,
3: rink
0: you know, that you get from. <laughs> You're gonna smack thanks, Derek. Head. Thanks. Thanks. Right? Thank you so much as always for that. That's um, not the point. Yeah. Derek. Thanks. Oh, um, so. I had a couple of I had a couple of points that I, I wanted to bring up with um with Johnny and hopefully um Derek won't trounce on them <laughs> trounce so, so the first one <laughs> the first one that I actually did want to ask you yes uh one of the things that I loved about the report was the traveling stage that you have mm-hmm. okay. it's in the stage truck. So I think that's just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful idea. Good for all ages,
3: too. I was talking... Yeah,
0: all all ages, 100%. I was talking with Derek, too, about this a little while ago. Derek was mentioning, I think, the last time we spoke to you, actually, when we were talking about uh, this book um, right here. (laughs) So uh, Derek was saying there's a stage at High Park. (laughs) (laughs) right so Mm -hmm. there's um there's a stage at high park there's a stage i believe there's one around there's a um hockey rink and a and a uh we have a bandstand. we have a a, bandstand in Kew gardens almost yeah yeah. yeah, exactly a bandstand and there's almost that kind of thing too where it's like i think it's um it's almost like the varsity stadium with the like with the seats that kind of go up and you know like sort of from the from the deck it's around um I think Bathurst and um, College. I think
2: around the hospital. <laughs> there's down a bunch down, of, down, down by the skate park there. Yeah, I think oh. so.
0: Yeah, I think there's a stage down there. Yeah.
4: yeah, there's a whole bunch of like underused band shells
2: and amphitheaters all around the city. I know and, there's an um, open space uh, down in. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to walk over you there. No, that's I'm, okay. sorry. I'm just thinking about places that there are and I've played a think few. Think out loud. Go for it. Uh, I know there's one in, I know there's one in Dufferin Grove. It's not a bandstand, but it's a it's. There's a large open space that has been used as a bandstand. Yeah, Um, but again,
4: these are underused. Why? Why
2: are they percent?
3: Because there's no power to
2: them.
4: There's there's no basically because um, there isn't the really understanding within the parks, forestry, and recreation department. Really doesn't understand how events work They're they're starting to and we had a, like i'm glad they were at the meeting that we had last week and they they're very much now kind of in we are listening mode that's which a, is great okay that's for, a start because yeah. just a long, just the, the rules around permitting for events is crazy in Toronto. I've only ever done one event in a city of Toronto Park my entire career as a presenter, and I vowed never again. It was such a nightmare. Mm. It's just so really. Uh, it's I- it's just it's so difficult because there, like there's just miles so of red tape kind of thing. It's like- it's it's not even red tape. It's not even a lot of paperwork. It's just a lot of knows is like you can't do that no it's yeah, uh, like y- you can't sell alcohol you can't have it gated you can't do it that day because there's soccer we can't governments uh, are like, so
0: good at yeah. ruining a good time right? yeah like they're now, just so yeah. good
3: at it i have i have a yeah. question
4: about the traveling stage as it
3: yeah. pertains to this then do you mm-hmm. not still have the same problems no exactly noise, things like that you do like, but but you have even less of a permanent stage in order to somehow have the well. There's a little bit of infrastructure there for that. So how do, how do you get around that kind of thing with the traveling stage? Because it seems like it's the same
4: stuff. It is it is it is the same st- stuff. So at least in, I mean, keep in mind that this is an Ontario wide report, so it's not just for Toronto. So other cities may not have like in Hamilton, they may not have the same challenges. And you know, I think like people in Hamilton are saying, "Ooh, we want to be we want to build the stage truck before Toronto does." Um, so but i think that yeah like it would have to it would have to go hand in hand with liberalizing of the or modernizing is the term they prefer modernizing of the of the right, yeah. the per- the permitting rules yeah. um but it does give you sort of more flexibility in terms of location and it also brings costs down because the other, the other main, like there's, there's the red tape barrier. There's the, there's the, the, you can't do this barrier, but there's also the, 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 when it comes to outdoor concerts, the cost barrier is high. If you want to go beyond just busking, um, if you actually want to do professional presentation with good sound, um, it's, it costs a lot of money. It usually costs at least five figures to do it properly. Um, and, and then, and then if it's, you're in situations where you can't make money back from selling drinks or you can't have it gated and sell tickets, then you're looking at having it funded by grants or sponsorship, um, anything you can do to bring your costs down, like the, the stage truck is like half the cost of renting a, a, a stage line or one of these big professional stages or sure. bring, bring in all your stuff. Like with wavelength, we used to like save, save money just by renting stuff from five different suppliers and building our own thing. And we'd save money, but it costs a lot more, took up a lot more time um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and sweat equity to, to do outdoor stuff. So I think it's the idea of, of a making it, cheaper on top ta- you know in tandem with modernizing the bylaws um, <laughs> but it also makes the opens up the whole city like there's there's whole. i think the other, the other thing too if you look at this if you look at the part of the study where the the toronto section where, where which shows you like the mapping of venues and shows around the city like everything was clustered downtown yeah, live, really, yeah. it really is live yeah. music like the whole all the inner suburbs are just starved for entertainment yeah so I think it's a bit of the idea of like, rather than someone trying to build a, bro- uh, open a brick and mortar venue in somewhere like Scarborough, where there may not be the audience for it. Um, like, uh, do we, the idea the stage truck is the idea of the more of this, um, sort of a one-off intervention. Like if you get, if you can get a, uh, get a permit to do, to do something and like Morningside park at Kingston and Morningside it's beautiful. All this beautiful green space that exists, exists in other parts of the city. um, and that starts to create more of a demand for live music in parts of the city that where you can't see it anywhere. Okay. So initially with the, with the roving state roaming stage, I sort of thought it was a
3: little more impromptu, but it just, it can't quite be because of things like that.
4: But it, I mean, but it, it could be, it could be in private space, right? It could be like, mm. um, it doesn't like pu- public parks, aren't the only place where it can go. Right. You, can, you could roll it up in a parking lot you could pull um, up on a beach like you have a picture of it like, you know, like street festival know, like
2: shutdowns like, you, exactly and, yeah
4: yeah street and it's great for it'll be it, it would be great for street festivals because they spend a lot of money on staging and um it's, even it's, just
3: it's, private private property like someone's someone's you know giant land outside of the city that
4: kind of thing mm. yeah exactly there's mm. there's so there's so like much Yeah. <laughs>
1: So you had right. another suggestion about a cultural land trust.
4: Yes. Land would trust. You, would you be able to tell us about the cultural <laughs> land trust? Okay. Well, the cultural land trust is building on this and then we're going to get really, cause Derek, we're really going to go back to school here. And I'm
3: <gasps>
4: <laughs> I, 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 like, I, no, I got to get more beer. <laughs> I may get some details wrong, but hopefully no one It's like it high school, me. but uh so the com- community land trust is a uh, is basically uh is very much a thing in affordable housing circles. Uh very much a, c- a community community land trust actually goes back to the 60s as like a um, an African American founded like uh, innovate, innovation for um people who farmers who wanted to own their own land collectively. Um and it's basically that it's basically the idea of collective ownership of land and buildings. Um so that uh, if you if you say if you rent a, a, an apartment on a community land trust, your rent will be locked in for perpetuity. You don't have any fear of getting evicted. Um, it's it's wonderful, right? It's like it's it's yeah. it really is this wonderful way of um, of fighting against the capitalization of of housing. And uh, I won't get too much into the mechanics of how it works. But basically, it's a nonprofit. It's set up as, as a nonprofit trust that's it has sort of community membership, some government membership, some resident membership. Um, and then the idea is you take that and you apply that to a building with a cultural purpose. Um, and and this is still very very new. Like the cultural land trust is there's only a handful of them around the world. Um, but basically if you apply it from the thinking of a music venue, um, like the, the biggest thing that we, we, we hear about all these venues closing, right. And like 90% of the, of the time it's because they've had That's their, so rent depressing. they've either had their rent raised or they're, they're getting a rent of demo evicted to make way for a tower. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the idea of the cultural land trust is a, like, is a long-term protection from, from the rental market. So, um, if you're if you were renting uh, a space in a cultural land trust, uh, you would not have that worry that that worry looming over your head of, you know, when when am I going to get kicked out for a KFC or a condo?
1: Are you are you glad that you didn't go back to school? <laughs> uh,
4: <laughs> uh, yes and no. Uh, like right, I mean, like I I love the independence that I have uh, mm-hmm. right right now. And, um, you know, I think that the academic environment is kind of, uh, uh, you know, it can be a bit of a, 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 a stressful place. I think right now, um, yeah. for, 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 for many reasons. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, in terms of like what I'm going to do next, like, I think it would either be probably starting a foundation, starting the foundation that I outlined in the report or yeah. working for a city, um i think that and then you uh, and then you own and then you joined that music advisory
1: uh council right yeah
4: that. Well, that, so, that's like, volunteer that's a volunteer though okay well okay but see cool school would have cost you money you know would have cost me money exactly i want to get paid <laughs> would it cost me that was my that was my metric uh, that was my that was my calculus you know i was like mm-hmm. I, I i don't want to have to pay to end up doing what i'm already doing um mm-hmm. or so yeah, exactly yeah Oh. So you
1: so you've so obviously you've sat down at city hall or you've presented yeah at city hall uh,
4: have you done a similar thing with the Ontario government mm no that would be great that uh that would be next on the list but assembling that list of stakeholders is going to be bit of a challenge i'm open to suggestions on who to talk to but the four government (laughs) like (laughs) not that fucking dickhead they don't they don't want to i mean they do the thing is like everyone likes music right and with the ontario place debacle like they definitely need some good pr so um like i would be open to it for for sure um i
0: think i think it should happen absolutely yeah because i think you know we Talking about just venues kind of all over the place. One of the things that I missed being a, a musician and a DJ in the 90s and the 2000s, there was a great club, perfect example, that I don't know exists anymore because unfortunately I'm kind of out of the whole club thing. But there was a club that was down uh, Queen, uh, Queen West just um a little west of Bathurst. It was called Gypsy Co-op. Yes. And Gypsy Co-op was just this wonderful, wonderful space. It had a candy shop in the front and in the back. It yeah, had like yeah. A Kind of a DJ booth and a restaurant with amazing food. And oh, up t- upstairs, no, it's not there anymore, unfortunately. It was owned by uh, uh, the great DJ Gio, Gio Cristiano, and uh, and a few other people. Um, and upstairs, they had a, a, a just a live venue with a very small stage, but an unbelievable sound system. It was called The Hooch. Mm -hmm. and the hooch used to have this band every tuesday night with my old buddy randy cook who's just a a phenomenal uh canadian drummer who's down in la now uh used to be called king brand valium and they used to play every every tuesday night at the hooch they would do essentially live house music i'm wondering with the state of of clubs these days like Do you think we would ever see anything like what we saw back in the days of like a Queen Street West or like even even bigger, the entertainment district where there's like Mm. 30 30 nightclubs in the the space of like eight city blocks? Like, do you think that could ever happen again? Maybe not in Toronto, but but elsewhere? That's a good
4: question. You know, I think that um, I think it's possible. I think that like Toronto is just getting so spread out. And, and those uh, sort of affordable places are just becoming more and more far flung. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that, you know, like it might have to be the kind of thing that's uh, like less organic and maybe more intentional. Like maybe, like maybe someone picks a street, like picks this, you know, gear, yeah. gear, like Geary Avenue is already, yeah, exactly. not ha- Geary has already happened. But like, what would be, the, what would the next Geary Avenue be like? Um, there's actually this street that I have my eye on that's up north of the junction that's called, I think it's called McCormick. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. mm-hmm. And uh, it's, uh, it's this wild little like semi-industrial street. It looks, it definitely looks like a, <laughs> okay, like Hamilton a little bit. Like it's yeah, like. It's all the industrial ha- on one that, side and then the brown got, like, houses on, on the other. How is yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, like somewhere like that, I think, you know, like, like maybe if, if this, if the city was saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to build a cult. We're going to not build. We're going to develop, help develop or encourage a cultural district along this street for example and and create sort of some incentives or tax breaks for a bunch of venues to 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 pop up here um uh, i did you think it's I a genre based happening? genre based a little
3: bit the difference between the past and now too like it, it, how do i explain this if everybody was kind of listening to the same stuff or mm. thereabouts the same stuff, you could have a district that had a bunch of stuff that it was like adjacent to that sort of thing. But everybody's listening to this different stuff. We've got Which different makes, cultures. And that makes,
1: a, that makes a scene harder to start, right? Yeah,
3: I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I guess that's what I'm getting at. So like, how do you start? a Well, you could start a scene, before a scene
4: for a scene. But you yeah. could say the same thing about the '90s, you know, like you had like Gypsy yes. Co-op was acid jazz, uh, like acid jazz places right next to goth clubs and punk places, and yeah, and, yeah. and so dance each, clubs. Like the each boom genre now. would have
3: its thing in that. Yeah, area that. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. in the club
0: district, oh, okay, we, okay, there was okay. Whiskey Saigon was kind of like a like a rock slash kind of dance club, and across the road you had Tonic Nightclub, which was literally strictly hip hop and house. Yeah, and that's all that they played. And okay, <clears> so down the road less- you could have like my apartment. Apartment, which was literally just all college kids listening to yeah. anything from spirit of the west to you know tupac and biggie right so I, li-
1: I liked my apartment
0: yeah yeah it was it was a fun place a lot of fun it was great yeah i dj there a couple, yeah like a even though like the
4: classic queen west venues of like there, you know like even what you would see at the rivoli and the horseshoe and the bamboo yeah and the cameron was pretty diverse you know mm-hmm. like they weren't like not even one of the, I wouldn't even say one of those venues was genre specific. Like we might think of the reggae, sorry, of the bamboo as being like a reggae club, but they booked soul, they booked jazz, they booked booked everything. I see like weird, like, you know, Glenn Branca played there, like weird noise guitar.
3: (laughs) So you you wouldn't be building a scene in the area so much as you'd be building a space for a bunch of scenes to all be in the same sort of area.
4: Yeah. And I think that I actually think that people's, I think you're like, I think you want to encourage or embrace like how omnivorous people's tastes are now, like everyone, like people's tastes are way more diverse. I I think that it was definitely more uh, uh, tribal, I guess is the word maybe not an appropriate word anymore, but uh, in like back in the day, it was definitely more cliquey. Like people are definitely more open to, going out and having different experiences and 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 listening to a a wider range of things. We're exposed to more these days too, I guess. That's, that's why. Okay. Do you
1: think that the, but do you think that like it all goes back or a lot of this goes back to the late nineties when Sean Fanning created file sharing through Napster and we've, we've had deck, a couple decades after that, where basically yeah. recorded music has gotten devalued, completely mm-hmm. devalued. Yeah, and um, so therefore, so therefore, like you, you like you talk about this, that in this report. There's a disconnect between the audience and like they they think, oh, music is going to see live music is so expensive. Yeah, and then and then, but then you have like I need, but then you have musicians say I need to play live in order to make any type of money because, yeah. because I'm not, because Spotify is paying me nothing, you know? And, um, and yeah, like it's all on playing live and selling merch, which is part of the live, it's part of the live experience. Yeah. yeah. So don't, don't you think that that's kind of the big conundrum here or like mm-hmm. heart, at the heart of the conundrum is that like we have like, we
4: have an audience that thinks, oh, well, music should be free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, then. and audiences are clearly willing to pay hundreds of dollars to see artists they know
0: mm-hmm, right
4: yeah. like that's like the bud stage i think had like a record summer budweiser stage you know those, it, yeah
0: i was there twice yeah <laughs> yeah for weezer and arctic monkeys yeah yeah but
4: you know these you know little 100 capacity bars are you know half empty yeah and, and well,
3: we, we- we also have more to do now. We have more to yeah. do at home.
4: You yeah, know, exactly. Like, Back then it was like, I'm bored. Let's go yeah. out and find a club. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. When we started wavelength, they were like, What do we do after the Simpsons on Sundays? <laughs> you know,
0: yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Well, it's kind of sad. I mean, I mean, but like you got a lot of great suggestions mm-hmm. in this report, and uh and I'm and I'm hoping that like this report stokes stokes of fire under some government people's butt
4: yeah but the know? thing is like that and i appreciate you saying that um and i think that like government is are they they're now listening well some of them are listening and they want and the, and they want to be partners but the change also has we say this at the end of the report like the change also has to come from the community like we like the people who care about the music scene whether it's the fans whether it's the musicians whether it's the you know presenters we also like Ha- like the change has to come from from us being more entrepreneurial and more supportive like through philanthropic donations and whether it's voting for voting with your dollars or donating to organizations that are supporting the cause supporting what you want to see happen within the music community like the government can't do everything for us like they can't wipe our, they can't wipe our butts basically right, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah you know what i mean like they're they're they're, yeah. they're, they're there they're there to they're they, they have are they should be there to help us yeah not, not stand in our way but they're not the the governments aren't going to fix the music scene for us. Yeah. Okay, Derek, definitely
0: not. Definitely not wipe our. Butts. So I've got, <laughs> uh, I've got. I actually I have a question for Derek in in just a second, but I know Derek's got uh, got something here. Which one is Derek? Derek?
2: That would be that. Would, it's the guy with the beard. Yep, Uh-oh. isn't it? Is it I that see guy? His
3: name there. No, Go I'm, okay. It's my turn. It's um, <laughs> so, so my uh, fault.
2: Yeah, shut up, Comer. Um, upon <laughs> like, so with with reading with reading your report, Johnny, um, the and and the conversation that we just had, especially what Dimitri just said and what you just said about how uh, the uh, the promoters and 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 people have to be more entrepreneurial and stuff in 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 that regard, I I think. Because back in the '80s and back in the '90s, because we're that old, um, and into the 2000s, there was like we, we had Queen Street,
0: right? yes, like
2: spe- speaking specifically yeah. of Toronto, okay? <clears throat> so we had we had Queen Street, we had Dundas, we had college. Yes. Yeah, we had Richmond.
1: We had Richmond too. Well, Richmond, we, yeah,
2: yeah. Rich Richmond was more like Richmond was a lot of like like dance club kind of. Yeah, that was yeah it was like the, that was it was different. It was uh, different. It was, was different. Too, yeah. it was there. Okay, where, where are you going with this, Derek? Where I want to where I'm going. I, where I'm going I with this know is, where you're going with this. Is is um those people that that own those own those venues and own those buildings prior? Yeah, yeah. Right there, there. It's a lot of older people. They were a lot of older people. Those yeah. people don't exist anymore. And the people that have taken over those buildings are looking at dollar figures from big companies rather than looking at what their predecessors looked at where they had the venues and they had the music. And because the music means people are going to come, people are going to spend money, people are going to buy beer, people are going to buy burgers, right? Mm -hmm. So that put asses in seats. You don't have the same mentality anymore, right? Because big box stores are like a guaranteed income. Right, if Le Chateau puts in and knocks out three stores and builds a superstore, you're guaranteed income for X amount of years.
4: But that's also because the Le Chateaus are the only only ones that can afford the rent. Yeah, like exactly. That's that's, just, that's the thing. Like the rent has just gone up so that, much. That's what I mean, and right? Like on, because on those, those venues on have those changed streets. hands. Like yeah. that's the that's 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 why those, those those streets aren't aren't what they used to, especially Queen West. Like, yeah, I really the mourn that, that like that strip of Queen West between Bathurst and the and the park and Trinity Bellwoods was the coolest place in yeah. 1994. And 100%. now there's nothing there unless you want to go buy sunglasses. But like, the
2: reason it was the coolest strip in on the in the city was because of the music venues that were there, because of the people that came there, because of the money that went through the place. That's why those places were so huge. That's why those places are so sought after and that's why they come in and ruin the fuck out of it.
4: Yeah. And that is the, that's the cycle of gentrification, right? It's like, it, it, it's, it, it always sucks for the artists, the ones who develop these areas, make them, a tr- you know, turn them around. Like it's usually artists or, you know, artists, entrepreneurs who open venues in areas that are cheap mm-hmm. because they, they're like, Hey, I can get, uh, for the same amount of money, I can get a bigger space to have more, to get in more people, make yeah. more money. As long as people are willing to take their risks, to go a little bit further. Yeah,
0: that's like what that. they did in, the, in New York in the 1970s. They started right. going to places like the Bronx and yeah. you know, outside New Look at, at York. Tell me, tell me what you see about McCormick because I live there. <laughs>
3: you mentioned that McCormick that area. I, that's actually where my house is We're on what that is, street. Uh, I'm on uh, Cayuga, which is just like two north of that.
4: Like, I just want to make sure we're talking about the same area. Like, just like north of St. Clair and Keel, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, right north. Uh uh, Yeah. I just went well in the summer. I went to this, that Department of Civilian Dance had their big event there with the in one of the warehouse spaces on the south side of the street. Where there was, you know, it's just I hadn't been to an event like that in Toronto in so long, where it was a big warehouse that was right across from that school, right? There's, there's, there's yeah, there's there's a a school across the street.
3: There's events there. Yeah. Okay.
4: Yeah. Uh, I don't know what's happening with it now. I heard that maybe that might not be a space anymore, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was very like just, uh, it felt very, what's the word I'm looking for? Just kind of lawless in a good way, you know, <laughs> like, just like there was an outdoor, they had an outdoor patio and they had a, and uh, they had a yeah, school, there's, a school there's bus. A junk there's,
3: there's junk carrots right next to it, but it's also yeah. in my neighborhood. Yeah. Which is just such a strange thing. Does this get yeah, around? Your house is weird. Talk- it is. Is this get around the thing Derek's talking about as far as like, like are these new areas then to be the new, not queen streets, but the new thing for venues and things like that?
4: Well, I think that's the thing, right? Cause they're like, uh, spaces that are a little bit further out from the core. I mean, the thing is like the whole city is kind of exploded in terms of property value. So, um, like they might be cheaper, but maybe not as cheap as Queen Street was in the '90s, even within accounting for inflation. So,
0: mm-hmm. and um, I guess probably a lot of those places too, Johnny, as well. You'd probably at least have to have some sort of like transportation infrastructure as well, too. Absolutely, right? yeah, people yeah, exactly. to be able to get get Of which Toronto of has well. zero.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not sure what it's like a kill in Saint Clair, but I, I certainly yeah. know Queen Street was was simple. I mean, you literally hopped on a streetcar and you were at the yeah. subway. And, yeah, this is Saint Clair streetcar. Yeah well, uh, yeah. True. yeah.
2: well the With thing those- is you
1: mentioned that you meant that's one of the things that the report said about Ottawa is that there if everything isn't so concentrated in one in one yeah. part of the city yeah. there are things to do in ver- in der- like, there it's more spread out. Yeah and exactly. The thing is so it was great that it was great that Toronto once had this Queen Street West scene. Mm-hmm. But the thing is maybe it's not so bad that things that something exactly. can happen in McCormick. That something can happen in the East End. That something can happen in North York. Exactly. You know?
4: That and that's and that's sort of the because there's residential development happening everywhere, right? There's going to be people in say like that area in the in the Junction or in the surrounding areas that are looking for things to do in their backyard, and and especially as the city gets as the traffic gets so bad in the city and the TTC, like the TDC is just gets takes longer and longer to get around the city. Um, we might become more like, God forbid, we might become more like Ottawa where it's easier to go out in your, in your neighborhood. Like, that's what we saw with the Ottawa research is that, Mm. um, because the Ottawa is downtown and I think to begin with, there's a little, you know, kind of businessy and boring that people would, that you would see venues uh, pop up in the Glebe or center town or definitely Montreal's like that too, isn't it? Hintonburg, right? Like these, um, uh, pe- pe- yeah, montreal want, definitely yeah uh, ottoans go downtown to work and then come home
2: after yeah. work and then go out, don't go back
4: downtown yeah. they stay in their neighborhoods at night yeah
2: yeah yeah there's yeah. stuff i was I was, yeah. I was sorry i was i was trying to talk in over talk to you but but montreal's uh, much like that too like they've got like little pockets of like yeah here's this little district and that little district and
0: yeah, exactly. I have, a, I have a question for you, Johnny. So we always appreciate your time, as always, my friend. Like again, and I appreciate you. Um, you know, we we we've, we've chatted now for an hour, and literally, I could chat to you for another hour. We haven't and, mentioned um, history I've, once. I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. No, that's cool. I think here's a question I've got for you. After doing this report, this might be a bit of a broad question, but I'm wondering: after doing this report, do you have hope? i do actually but i feel like um
4: there also needs to be uh i th- i think there still needs to be so much more education done yeah on uh like how how things work on how um like on especially at every level like like government level corporate level Developer level and at the sort of fan level too, and even at the musician level, like people need to to know promoters, yeah, everything, how the gears turn and why, like the economics are so backwards and why it's important. Like it's not, you know, the the support that's required to to really have a vibrant music scene that develops our future beaches and our future metrics, um, like takes investment, whether that's, you know, government funding or whether that's sponsorship or whether that's philanthropy. Um, and that's, and that's okay. And this doesn't mean it's like, Oh, we're t- it's, it's, you know, like, why should these little grimy musicians be getting uh, government, uh, getting taxpayers money, you know, like that's, that sort of ad seems to be, there's still a lot of that kind of attitude mm-hmm. of it's like, it's not, it's not worthy of our support. Um, until it gets to the point where it's making, where it's making money, you know, like that sort of, um, it's well, Abel's, the,
2: Abel's foundation does that, does it like the weekend he's got that Abel, um, oh, the yeah. weekend, he's got that, he's got that foundation down to in, in Toronto, down Toronto where he's like, it's, it's a full arts building where he talks about from the high ups to the, the DIY kind of stuff. He, he's, he's, yeah. and it's, it's, um. I can't remember the name of it to save my life at the moment. Yeah,
4: we, and we we need more people like that. We need more pop stars with a conscience like like, like yeah. The Weeknd and and for people to listen him so i i am optimistic because i think that there's uh like obviously like this report really struck a nerve like people really responded to it i had yeah like, we I had tons of media tons of conversations i've had like the two weeks after it came out like my days were packed with coffee meetings everyone wanted Excellent. to talk to nice. me that yeah, was really great. that was really nice and I, I do really feel optimistic about what can happen next but so but then it's also still so much work to do, you know. So I feel a little like, yeah. oh my gosh, there's still so much to do to, to get oh, where we I
3: wanted got. to get, you know. So what can we do? So I'm a I'm a music producer of, yeah. of bands. I'm in a band, uh, you know, and I've put on shows. Like what what can we do to
4: at our level to help? Mm. What that's happens a, from here? That's a great. That's a great question. Well, when when slash if we start the Ontario Space for for Music Foundation, uh, you'll be you'll be hearing from us, and then there'll be lots of ways to get involved. Nice. Um, I think in like in in the short term, I think it's important to like participate in everything you see, like um, any sort of survey that the city puts out about about noise bylaws, about about the music scene, about the importance of the music sector. Take part in that. Um, message your like email your local counselors and your mpps and tell them that you want to see the support music venues in your backyard and that you want uh to see more support financial support for for live music that's big because what's we're going into a scary time like all these um all this pandemic funding that was rolled out to get the live music sector back on its feet is all getting cut back to pre-pandemic levels Mm-hmm. But with but with wow. post but with post pandemic inflation, you're gonna see Weird. a lot of, you're gonna see a lot of like festivals and venues fold, folding and closing in the next year. So um yeah, it's wow. like you said it, you uh, were optimistic. I'm optimistic I, I <laughs> And um, then you drop that. I didn't say I wasn't scared. I'm <laughs> well, optimistic, right. but well. I'm also scared
2: okay
0: optimism also also has to come with a dose of realism too
4: yeah exactly reality
0: yeah absolutely
4: it's not it's not binary right so you can be optimistic about uh about like about change but also scared for the future right it's like yeah if it's because we're dealing we're dealing with big scary things all the time like climate change you have to be an optimist but also recognize that it's fucking scary you know it's a hoax and be be willing to do the work (laughs) yeah exactly right
0: Mm -hmm uh guys anybody have anything else before we well, thank?
1: well just to, say, just to say thank you thank Derek, you that was just thank weird. you again for your time
0: oh my pleasure Good yes. Johnny. Yeah. Honestly, All you guys. we really we just love having you on the show we really do just your your wealth of knowledge is you're super is smart dude. staggering it's uh, staggering in a lot of ways, but no, honestly, yeah. we really appreciate it because one of the Thank things you. that I love is mm-hmm. when you're talking about all these things, you can see the passion that you have for it, and the the love and the joy right. that clearly music brings you, and and obviously brings everybody else here on this this panel. I think so he's so on ecstasy. Really, you know, it might be. Well,
2: <laughs> and Johnny, Johnny, I've got, I've got, uh, I've got some. I've got some ideas, and uh, I, I, I messaged I messaged Comer while we were talking because you were talking about the the, uh, the 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 stage, and and I was like, I, I had I have this idea, I have I have this exact idea. Um, so I'm gonna get I'm gonna get uh, I have your I have your email, so I'm just gonna get to uh, emailing you, and uh, I want to I want to I want to actually strike up a conversation about that, and uh, I want to see where I can help out and what I can do with that.
0: Hell yeah, let's do it. I look forward to chatting about that, Derek. Yeah, man. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, Johnny Dovercourt is, of course, the author of this uh, wonderful book, which is right here. You'll be able to see it on screen. And, of course, the boys have to go on either side of it. Uh, Any night of the week by Johnny Dovercourt is available, and you can get it at your uh, favorite bookstore online bookstore mm-hmm. wherever you get it got my copy Dimitri has his copy of course he's lost behind the book I think I'm actually gonna like put this up now once a show um and, so, and, and reimagining music venues the report yes. you can download it for free yep, yep
4: from wavelengthmusic.ca yeah. it's a good got hefty that
0: read here for you and I'm just gonna share this if everybody can see that so there it is right there and, and you, uh, you'll you'll let's, go, go, a, let's go through it let's you'll go through a, it
2: page by page <laughs> let's yeah. uh, absolutely Johnny, you people. read the first phrase. That's right. <laughs> so
0: here it is. Uh, it is right there, wavelengthmusic.ca. So again, uh, Johnny, thank you so much for hanging out. Uh, with my while. pleasure. We really appreciate it. Great to chat with you guys. You're an awesome night. dude. You're an awesome dude, Super and, and we just love you. So thanks a lot.
3: Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm
4: Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana.
3: I'm John Gay from in Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off
2: Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network.
3: And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts.